to Colossians chapter 3. The title of my message is a little weird, but don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? The title is Clothes and Peace, a Positive Correlation. Whenever I was born, I'll be straight up honest with you, I was born straight up naked, okay? I came out of my mom, I looked at the nurses and the doctors, and I was like, hello world, please clean me because I am utterly disgusting and I'm an ugly alien. That's what happened. And I grew up and I got out of my alien stage, thankfully, but clothes are a necessity because we're, after mankind fell, we needed clothes because Adam and Eve's eyes were opened. So if I was to walk down the street and if I didn't have much clothes on, that would be frowned upon in our society because the more clothes you have, the more positive experience you have. That's just how it works. I'm going to uh, give a little illustration right now. Uh, Renee and I graduated from Pensacola Christian College, and uh, I got my MBA down there, and I, I did not consider myself a statistician whatsoever. I took a class called Advanced Business Stats, and it was with Dr. Lane. Renee knows Dr. Lane. He is the smartest man I've ever met in my life. The man can take the fourth dimension, the fourth dimension, my mind can barely grasp even the concept. And he can basically show how God, since God exists outside of time, he's not uh, controlled by time, how God exists in the fourth dimension, and that's how God uh, has a say in what, in what we do and how we act, etc. And I was, when I saw that, my head was going, do, 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 do. I tell you what, I had no idea what was going on. However, um, in business stats, he talked about something called a correlation. Now, just uh, as a little background, let me see if I can get this where everyone can see. Might be a little hard. But anyways, a correlation, you have, you have uh, what is called a standard deviation. So you have a normal distribution like that, and you have your mean, which is your average. And basically, uh, a business will collect data, and they will use that data to help them make wise decisions. So you have data that is spread all about the mean, and you have uh, that... that well, that is your p-value, basically, and uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of details I cannot get into right now. However, this data is very, very important. And with this data, you can find uh, things that are called uh, variances, covariances. Uh, you can find correlations or multiple regressions. I want to talk about the correlations. Now, if you're thinking of a normal graph, um, say, for example, uh, I'm in school, uh, and I'm thinking of a positive relationship, okay? I'm in school, and I want you to do good. I want you to do well in my grades. So you would think the more I study, the better my grades would be, correct? So um, here's, uh, here's my uh, percentages for grades, and here the ST means study. So you would hope that the more I study, the better my grades would be. Now, obviously, we know that there are um, some other circumstances. There are external outliers that would... Uh, keep that from happening. But for the most part, if I study more, I'm going to get better grades. The alternative is very true. If I study less, then my grades would go down. Wouldn't we all agree with that? This is called uh, a positive or a negative relationship, um, or in addition, a correlation. What I found in God's Word is that there is a positive correlation um, with obeying God and having peace. And specifically, um, putting 
on certain things in your life is going to help you have peace down the road. But the opposite is very true. If you don't put on certain things in your life, you're not going to have peace at all. And that is very, very true. Let me get some water. I suffer from cotton mouth. That's pretty bad. No, I didn't get bit by a cotton mouth. If that's, where you're if that's what you're asking. It just happens. Um, so we're looking at a positive relationship found here in God's Word. Uh, let's, let's read uh, the first two or three verses. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, God's Word says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bonds of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Christians, did you know that God wants you to have peace in your life? It's a foreign concept in today's society to have peace. After work, it's very common uh, for, for many people just to go out and get drunk and to do drugs and to just uh, basically drink their worries away because they have no peace in their hearts. However, I serve a God who's given me peace in my life. And throughout this passage, we are going to see if we do certain things, once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we put on certain things, we're going to be able to have peace in our lives. And addition, additionally to that, we'll be able to rejoice. You see, today, uh, especially this morning, our uh, songs were themed and how we can worship our almighty God. I truly believe if we do what this passage says, that we will be able to rejoice in that peace and what God has done for us. So previously to this passage, Paul was talking to the church at Colossae, and he was telling them to put off certain things. Um, and it, he was very, very vivid in what he was telling them. He told them to put off anger, wrath, malice, filthy communication, etc. Paul was very specific, but he was very, very certain about what he was talking about. I'll tell you what, when we put on the new man, uh, we see amazing things in our lives. So how can we have peace? And here's just a few points and I will be done. Maybe, uh, this is my third time preaching in the evening services. I don't know if people look at me this way or not. But I tend to be the guy that does not wax as eloquent as uh, my fellow uh, peers over here. They, they tend to go a little bit longer than me, probably because they have more to say, because um, they are phenomenal in preaching. Um, hopefully, I'll get us out at a good, uh, in a good timely fashion. Um, so if you're worried about watching a football game, if, if any of that is on, don't worry. Uh, I will preach what God has told me to preach, and that's all I got to do. Uh, and my first point, how can we have peace? Well, number one, we should put on certain things. You know that Jesus made us new? This happened at salvation. I preached about this before. I have harped on this before. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And it's a wonderful thing. Uh, I, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. I'm so glad that whenever I pillow my head at night, I know my, my destination is not hell. 
My destination's heaven. And that gives me utter joy and utter, utter peace, to, to be honest. Someone cannot have peace if they do not have G- Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I tell you what, even though you may be saved, if you're not in God's will, you're not going to have peace because God wants that specific, close relationship with you. In verse 10, Paul says that we have put off the old man. I tell you now, church, it is time to put on something else. These, uh, these uh, attributes that we see, in a sense, uh, I can see my Savior, Jesus Christ, putting on these. So let's look at these attributes. We must put on, number one, bowels of mercy. You may say, Brother Micah, what, what's bowels, okay? That, that sounds something like your stomach, or as a kid would say, their tummy. Um, the bowels, uh, according to the Jews, were regarded as the seat of the more violent passions, such as anger and love. But by the Hebrews, as the seat, get this, of tender affections, especially kindness, benevolence, and compassion. So when someone says uh, it's coming from their bowels, they really mean it. I mean, it is utterly sincere. In addition, we see that mercy, so bowels of mercy, mercy is that we are not getting what we do deserve. I'll tell you what, what I deserve is hell. I deserve hell. Yes, I haven't gone off and I haven't been a mass terrorist and I haven't killed millions of people. But I tell you what, my righteousness is as filthy rags. And if it was, it is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that I get to go to heaven. I deserve nothing, but Jesus Christ gave me everything. I put this note down. Jesus gives this to us all the time. So my question is, church, do you give others mercy? Uh, I can think maybe an example. Uh, my brother and I used to fight all the time. Uh, it, it's a typical sibling relationship. My brother and I would be wrestling in the house, as a lot of you more Southern people would say. And my dad would be like, boys, take it outside. So there's a home video of us. And my brother and I are literally on a slip and slide, and we are wrestling each other, putting each other in headlocks. That's the greatest thing ever. Um, But my brother and I would get in fights at times, and uh, the one rule in our house was you can can wrestle all you want, but no face shots. You are not allowed to punch each other. Probably because my dad was a dentist, and he didn't want to have to patch up any teeth, okay? But that's what happened. Um, But I tell you what, whenever uh, I would do ill to my brother, or whenever my brother would do ill for me, it was really hard to show him mercy, because I wanted to be like, I'm going to punch you in the face, and I'm going to leave you there, because you deserve it, because you really annoyed me. You see, I was the younger brother, but I was bigger than him, so I had a little bit more of a strategic advantage. But that's how it operated in my family. Um, but I tell you what, in our lives, sometimes it's wrong. Do you show them mercy? Do you show them the mercy that God showed you, that he shows you every day. Well, I pray that that is our hearts today. In addition to bowels of mercy, number two, we see kindness. Kindness. Have you ever met someone who is not kind? Whew, we can all raise our hands. We can all put up, put up our feet. I can do a little jumping jack for you, okay? We see people all the time who are not very kind. But when you meet someone that is kind, don't they leave an impression on you? I can think of my cousin, Anna. Anna is the sweetest lady you will ever meet. Yeah, I think my wife is actually sweet. I'm going to talk about Anna for a little bit. Anna, 
uh, has volunteered multiple times to, to go to Haiti. And if you know anything about Haiti, it's a rough place. I've learned a lot about Haiti just by talking to Brother Greg Reif. It's a rough place, especially to be a white female. It's very dangerous. And she would, multiple times, she would go over and work at an orphanage over there for months at a time. And it got to the point where my uncle was nervous that she was going to stay there long term, so he went and got uh, his passport in case he needed to go and get her at any time if she ever got in trouble. Um, but Anna had the heart. She would look at a little boy or a little girl. She would love on them. And she, I, I truly believe that uh, she was so close to Jesus Christ that she emulated his type of love, his, his, uh, his agape, unconditional love. And I tell you what, um, do you have that type of kindness towards people? That you look at them and you uh, ignore that judgmental spirit that is in the back of your mind. You ignore the race differences that is straight from the depths of hell, let me tell you that, because we are all from the same race. We are all from the same lineage. We are all from Adam. Whether we're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, we are all from Adam. And we need to be kind to each and every one, each and every person on this earth. In addition, Paul lists another word, Another phrase, humbleness of mind. Ooh, I bet some people that are not humble at all. Uh, but you know what? I myself struggle with that as well. I can think of one specific individual, one of whom I have never met, but his name was Muhammad Ali, Amer one of America's greatest boxers. And there's a story, a famous story, by the way. Muhammad Ali was on a plane. And uh, Muhammad Ali, he was just sitting there, acting all cocky. And the, the flight hostess came up to him, and she, and she was like, um, sir, I'm going to need you to put your seatbelt on. And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't wear no seatbelt. And she said, yes, sir, the Superman don't need no plane either. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> A lot of times we think we are so big and so bad. But <laughs> I love that story, by the way. A lot of times we think we are so big and so bad but having a humble opinion of yourself in relation to how awesome and how mighty and how holy God is will put yourself in perspective. It really will. Having a humble opinion of yourself in addition to obviously how great God is, but also to those above you and those below you. Some people, hopefully not in this room, but it could be, some people in this room think, oh, I just got a raise or I just got a promotion. The people, the people beneath me are lowly. They should grovel at my feet because I have arrived. Or the people that are beneath their supervisors, they say, Psh, why does he have that position? That guy's a low life, that guy's nothing. I deserve that position. To be honest, we all have had those thoughts, haven't we? Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners in need of God's grace each and every day. Humbleness of mind. Whew, that's a good one. How about this? Meekness. Meekness, uh, you can think of uh, meekness in this way, gentleness. Someone that is gentle, someone put it this way. Meekness is uh, prudently bridle our own anger and patiently bear the anger of others. Woo, that's a good one right there. Prudently bridle our own anger and patiently bear the anger of others. When someone ticks us off, the world says, I'll teach you a lesson. But my Savior says, I love you anyways. You know, 
Jesus, though he uh, was a man of action, think of him turning over the, the money changers' uh, tables, though he was a man of action, oh, he was the meekest man that ever lived. He was gentle. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Oh, he loved kids. He had that gentle, compassionate spirit about him. Yet, um, sometimes when we look at each other and say, oh man, I am ticked off about this situation and I'm going to go and I'm going to tell Eric all about it and how ticked off I am uh, about Brother Johnny. Brother Johnny did this, Brother Johnny did this. And if Eric isn't meek and if he isn't gentle, um, he's going to let that overcome him. Then he's going to go home to his wife and he's going to say, Brother Johnny did this, Brother Johnny did this. I'll tell you what, that's not being meek. That's not being gentle. That's not what my Savior would do. Um, in addition to meekness, we see uh, long-suffering. <laughs> I mean, these, just, these just smack me in the gut about how much I need to work on this stuff. You know how long-suffering God is? Ooh, I sin every stinking day, every hour, probably every minute. If I took a tally of how many times I've sinned, I would be utterly despaired. You know, I believe that... Uh, well, I'm glad that I am not omniscient, that I do not know everything. Because if I was omniscient and if I could remember every time I sinned, oh my goodness, that would be awful. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you would think the same thing. Um, but whenever I sin, I am so glad my God is long-suffering. I am so glad that my God uh, is sitting in heaven and my Savior Jesus Christ is interceding on my behalf to God the Father. And God says, you know, why did Micah sin? Why did he do that? I'm sick and tired of his sin nature. And Jesus said, Father, forgive him. My blood is covering his sins. Father, will you forgive him because of me? My long-suffering God says, yes. Yes, son, I forgive him because of you. That's what happens with each and every one of us. That's what happens. Just like my God is long-suffering, we need to be long-suffering when people ridicule us, when people make fun of us, when you go through hard situations at work, say, God, let me be long-suffering like you. The next two phrases kind of go hand in hand. Forbearing and forgiveness. The word uh, forbearing uh, has a sense of withholding from action. We're exercising patience and indulgence. Um, and forgiveness uh, is very evident because we forgive because Christ forgave us. I have a, I'm not going to give all the details for the sake of this one individual. N none of y'all know him, or maybe some of y'all do. Uh, but there was this one individual who hated me, hated me almost with every fiber of their being. And I think Renee knows who I'm talking about. It wasn't Renee, by the way. Renee's, Renee's awesome. Um, he, he couldn't stand my guts. And uh, I admit, I wronged him at one time, and I sought forgiveness. I, I tried to restore that relationship, but he wouldn't have it. The roots of bitterness controlled his life. Let me tell you, if you have the roots of bitterness in your life, you're not going to have peace. Oh, you're going to be the most miserable person. You think what you're doing is going to make the other person miserable, but in fact, it's going to make you the most miserable person on this planet if you allow bitterness to rule your life. And that's a totally different message, by the way. Um, but this one person, he allowed bitterness to control him. And uh, it took a period of two to three years of me praying and asking God to resolve that situation. My God's faithful. He resolved it. And uh, to see the forgiveness um, over that two to three years of how he and I have uh, become compatible, 
on how we have become close. It's tremendous. That's an illustration of what Jesus does for us each and every day. My Savior is forgiving. We forgive others because Jesus Christ forgave us. So we have gone throughout this list. This list, uh, we covered it through verses 12 through 13. But I want you to know this, and that was my longest point. We should put on certain things, okay? We should clothe ourselves with, thir- with certain things, right? But here's the most important part. If we do not tie all this up with charity, it's nothing. None of this works without love. That's, that's my second point. The most important part is charity. It's love. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, Paul is exhorting this church to clothe themselves with vows of mercy, with kindness, etc. But how can we put on all of this without love? I dare say it's absolutely impossible. The phrase bond of perfectness means it's basically tying everything together. This list that we just went through is not complete without love. It is not at all. Someone put it this way. The other virtues, talking about this list, pursued without love become distorted and unbalanced. I believe that's very true. Distorted and unbalanced. I think of my life with Renee. We've been married for a little over a year. And obviously, uh, some of y'all who have been married for a long time, you have tremendous wisdom. You have a lot of knowledge. And uh, if any time you want to give us some help, I greatly appreciate it. Renee is a wonderful, amazing wife. And uh, obviously, I fail at times. I'm, I'm human, and uh, I fail at times. But God has uh, showed me that by, no, by knowing her love languages, I can better meet her needs. And this part is uh, more teaching than from the passage, but if you have not taken the five love language test, you can just go online, Google that. It will greatly, if you're married, help your marriage. Or if you're looking for someone, it will greatly uh, help you in knowing what you need so you can uh, help someone else. But the five love languages are what Renee and I use to help each other out. And uh, Renee is quality time and acts of service. So if Renee is gone at work all day and I I still work part-time here at the church and say I'm home all day and I decide to play video games and to watch a bunch of shows and if I don't do the dishes and the laundry and if I just am on my rear end all day, do you think my wife is going to be happy with me whenever I get home? I dare say not. No, Renee is going to be ticked. She's like, what are you doing, you lazy husband? Get up and cook me dinner. That's what she's going to say. Renee... Uh, by knowing her love languages, like acts of service or quality time, if I decide to go on the golf course, 70% of my time, which that's a lot of money, I can't do that, um, and spend only 30% of the time with my wife, you don't have to be a mathematician to realize those percentages, those numbers don't add up. Love takes work. Love is purposeful. And this list we just went over, if you don't have love to it, it's not going to work out. I guarantee it. Trying to put on bowels of mercy, kindness, etc., without love is futile. So why do we do that in our own lives? 
Why do we do that? When you look at your coworker and they are a jerk to you, do you forgive them? When someone comes up to you and they are just ticked off about something and they want to rant to you about what their friend did, are you meek? Are you gentle? Or do you just spread out all the gossip that everyone throws at you? Do you do all of this with love? I dare say that all of this is a great picture of my Savior Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus did all of this, and he wrapped uh, the bond of perfectness. He wrapped all of this list with love, and that was how my Savior did it. So when we clothe ourselves with these things, this list, and we wrap it around with love, when we clothe ourselves, what happens? Well, God's Word tells us. You don't have to be a, a, a Bible scholar to realize this. God's Word tells us, and my third point is this, this brings forth peace. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. I already kind of mentioned this, but to the world, peace, that's a foreign concept. Peace, what's peace? I don't know what that is. It must be really nice, but I've never tasted it in my life. You know, they may have temporary satisfaction, but never lasting peace. Um, I keep on mentioning Renee. I'm sorry, honey. Don't, don't kill me later. It's just not about you. Renee has some coworkers who are some of the nicest people you will ever meet. Um, but <laughs> Renee's told me stories. She goes into the office, and it's like she's, on a, she's in the 1800s on a ship full of sailors. Their tongues are awful. So here's all types of wicked stuff, wicked stuff. My wife has been able to be a witness, and she's actually talked to one of her friends, Brian. She has witnessed to him multiple times. He's part Jewish, and so he knows the Pentateuch. He knows a lot about Jewish culture. He knows, in a sense, who Jesus is, obviously not the way we know Jesus. Um, Renee's been able to witness to them, and I believe they see Renee, that she has peace. Peace that God's Word says passes all understanding. And when her coworkers go home and they drink, they shack up with one another, they don't have peace. It doesn't add up. But yet they go to work and they see someone that has that peace and they say, whoa, what is this? I want some of that. Christians, is that, the, is that how it is in your life? I know Renee isn't perfect. I know that. But that's just a, a simple example. Is it that way in your life? Can people see the peace shining through you because you have applied these things in your life and they can see the peace, they can see Jesus Christ living inside of you. I pray that that's the truth in your lives. I, I need to apply this every day in my life because I need Jesus more and more and more. The day I think I've arrived, the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. And that's uh, very apparent throughout his word. Look at the phrase, um, rule in your hearts. The phrase, um, as God's word says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Uh, this has the connotation that peace should prevail and govern in our hearts. You know, when you have peace, you won't have malice. You won't have guilt, hatred. You won't have strife. You won't have anxiety. You won't struggle with lust because Jesus is your everything because of what he has done for you. 
to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. In one body, and be ye thankful. Uh, Paul is basically saying right here that we are called, get this, to be at peace with each other. There are a lot of churches that split over the dumbest things, over the dumbest things. Brother Phil can give you many examples about how churches split over carpet, over whether to have pews or chairs. A lot of these sacred cows. Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff that goes on, but brethren are not at peace with each other. And out of everyone, shouldn't we be at peace with each other? Be looking at this list, bows of mercies, kindness, humbleness, and apply love to all that. And shouldn't we be at peace with everyone instead of nagging each other in the ribs, in the kidneys as they go by? When, uh, when, someone, when someone did ill towards you and you, they passed by you in church, which I hope this never happens, but it could. Uh, someone passes by you in church and uh, your friend uh, gives you a little smart aleck comment and it just jabs you right in the kidneys and you want to lash out at them with anger. You don't want to be meek. That's part of applying this concept here in God's word, being at peace with someone. But here's the thing. We can be thankful because of the peace that God has offered us. So the question is this. Are you thankful? Do you have peace? Because my last point, after all this brings us peace, what does peace bring forth? Celebration. All of us this morning, if you were here this morning, we were, we were able to sing out praises to a God who is worthy to be praised. And when true peace resides in your heart, that is going to bring forth praise in a way that this world cannot even fathom. Uh, look at verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ, this is the gospel this is the gospel by which we are saved through Jesus Christ alone. The gospel came to us, but that is not enough. It must dwell in us. And may I even say this, the gospel came to us, we received it, it dwells in us. That gospel has got to go out. God's word says, go out from among them and preach and tell others about Jesus Christ. Many of us have the word of Christ dwelling in us. Ooh, but here's a stickler here. It's got no room to grow. We are so full of ourselves. We think that we have arrived that when God wants to tell us something, we just squish Jesus in the corner of our, of our heart and we'll say, Jesus, uh, I know you're there. Thank you for giving me my, my fire insurance, but I'm okay with living my life right now. So Jesus, whenever I need you, I'll just open up the door of my heart and I'll let you back into my life. Be careful. Be careful with that. That is a scary way to live. Because when you have peace, and when you let the gospel shine to other people whenever they see a, di see a difference in you, and whenever you tell others about Jesus Christ, whoo, you're going to be celebrating, you're going to be dancing. As a Baptist church, I'm not going to dance. Um, but you're going to have a hoot because of what Jesus Christ has, has done for you. And if we keep on reading, let the word of Christ, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, 
in hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The phrase in all wisdom, uh, this is applying what we know about God's word. So we have peace, and the gospel is shining through us, and we, uh, we have wisdom. We are applying what we know throughout God's word. Hey, by the way, that's what Bible studies are really good for. For if Phil has some good Bible studies, and I challenge you, go to those. You'll be strengthened. You'll be encouraged, because that is something that's going to help us apply God's word for our spiritual lives. And then it says, teaching and admonishing in songs and spiritual songs. We can teach and encourage others when we sing praises to God. I don't care if you can sing or not. You've been saved from hell. Let her fly, as my pastor from uh, back in Tennessee would say. Let her fly when you sing. It's okay. If you don't know the song, you can say watermelon a little bit, but just sing a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Rejoice that Jesus Christ has saved you. Rejoice that you can have peace because of what this passage says, if you will put on these things, if you will clothe yourselves in what this passage says, if you will tie it all up with love, you're going to have peace. And because you have peace, you're going to be able to rejoice in ways that this world cannot even fathom. It's a strange topic, strange title, mind you. Clothes and peace, a positive correlation. Let me ask you, church, are you putting on what this passage says? Because if you do, you will have peace. And you will be able to rejoice in a God that is truly worthy to be praised. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. I pray that you would be with us. God, I need you more than anything. Be with these believers, Father. I pray that you would uh, challenge us each and every day challenge us in your word. And Father, I pray that this positive relationship, this correlation of how if we put on these things after we have put off these old things, um, it's going to uh, help us after we attach love to that, it's going to help us have peace. And ultimately, we're going to be able to rejoice in you. Oh God, thank you for your love. Bless us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God dismissed.